And so, you know, we're going to do a, a series the next few weeks called The Hills We Would Die On. And these are, are, are the strategic places that we've learned over multiple decades of ministry of what is a non-negotiable for us as a church. What is it that we're all in with and that without it we wouldn't be who we are? Um, these are the hills. These are hills that we have sacrificed on. Uh, people have, have uh, sacrificed their blood, sweat, and tears. No different than in a military battle where they go for the high ground and there's huge casualties and sacrifices. If you could see the history to get us to where we are today, there's been multiple sacrifices, multiple heroic acts of, of faithfulness to God to fight on these hills that if we don't win, we'll lose everything. And so uh, what these hills are, are our, our rock foundations of, of this church. The first one we're going to look at this morning is the hill of the gospel, and that this is a church that's gospel-centered, that it's intentional. We fight for it. We fought over it. We've had casualties. It's, it's, it, would, it marks us as a church in the spiritual realm as a threat to the kingdom of darkness. A non-gospel-centered church is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. So we are a church that is committed to the good news of Jesus Christ. That may sound pretty obvious, uh, but it's, it's sadly drifting in our culture today is, is a culture that resists, mocks, and wants us to feel uh, inferior because we believe that Christ died on a cross, rose from the dead, and is here to offer us new life. Now, that's stupid, foolish, and weak in the eyes of the world. When our kids go to most schools, most academic schools will mock that kind of simple Bible faith and the, and, 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 and the good news of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just want to kind of anchor us in why the gospel is the most important thing to us, why it's a hill that we will die on, not just Kim and I, but we want you up on the hill with us. I don't want you at the bottom saying, hang in there, take another one for the team. That's internet faith, not real living faith. That's watching something from a, I want you to be in. I want you to be, and you might on the ride here as we say that, you may say, that's not a hill I'd die on. Then this isn't a church for you. And that's okay. We're not for everybody. And it's good to know where the bus is going before you get on the bus. Isn't that a good thing? You ever, you ever, one of the exciting things about traveling before 9-11 was that you could get on the wrong plane. My wife and I rushed. We were late. We got on the plane, and I'm, you know how it is when you finally get to your seats and, and you know, the baggage things are all crammed, just there's no room, and there's this big guy in my seat. I'm like, dude, you're in my seat. He looked at me, and he said, I'm not in your seat. I said, buddy, is this 23B? or A, whatever it was, and he, I, he said, yeah. I said, well, that's my seat. You're in my seat. He said, let me see your ticket. He said, he said dude, you're on the wrong plane. <laughs> it was the right seat. <laughs> wrong plane. 
So it's good to know where the plane's going before you get on it. So this will help you hopefully explain who we are, why we do what we do, and why we don't do some things we don't do. Okay, we're going to use the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, who was captured as a, a murderous persecutor of the church. He gets captured by the love of Jesus. He experiences the gospel that he's going to write about. This isn't theory. This isn't just some belief. This isn't just some doctrine. This isn't just some... So this is his life. He was rocked by the good news that Jesus Christ loved him. It changed his world. And he is writing to people in, a, in, in Rome that he'd never been there. And it says dark then, probably darker than any city in the United States. I mean, there are some dark places in, in our country. This Rome was perverted. It was idolatrous. It was oppressed. It was anti-everything that Jesus stood for. And yet Paul says, I want to go there, not as a tourist, but he wants to go there to bring the only hope that that city, any city, and any people would ever have, which would be the gospel. So we're going to look at three huge statements he makes and apply them to us as a church. But I want to just give you a little bit of his introduction to them as we jump in here. In chapter 1 of the book of Romans, we'll start reading in verse 13. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you. That, that's, that's gospel talk. That's, that's I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see people fall in love with Jesus. I want the good news to set the captives free. That's a harvest. That's a, that's a kingdom word. It's a Bible word. It's a, it's a good word that we would pray in 2024 for a harvest at the vineyard. For us, it's ringing the bell. That's when someone has said yes to Jesus. Someone has said, I'm going to follow Christ, and we celebrate and ring the bell. That's a harvest. That's our goal. That's what we're sowing. That's what we're watering. That's what we're weeping over. And that's what Paul drove him was to see people come to know Jesus. So the harvest among you, just as I've had among other Gentiles. Now the first I am, verse 14. Paul says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. The word obligated, I learned it in an older version of the Bible, the King James Version. It says, I'm a debtor. We use this in our new members course that we call U-I-O. U is upward worship, I is inward spiritual growth, discipleship, small groups, and O is outward. We care about the world around us. But it also is a little fun way of saying U, I, O. I'm a debtor. Okay. Now, it's obvious that we owe God everything. If you've experienced the gospel and Jesus has changed your life, then you owe God everything. You'll never... It's not like you can pay him back. It's not like you could ever do enough to make up for, but you out of gratitude, we, we worship him and we, we, we're motivated because of his goodness to us. But it's also a way of saying, you, I owe. This will help you here. The church is the only organization in the world that exists 
for the primary purpose of those that aren't members of the church. Now, most Christians don't think that way. You make church about us. We make everything about us. I love Rick Warren in his bestseller, Purpose Driven Life. He's a, he's a wonderful, godly man, Rick and Kay. Uh, but he wrote this book, and his, he, he agonized. The first words in the book are, it's not about you. Now, if you leave me alone, I make everything about me. And so do you. You got married, you made it about you. I've been taking 45 plus years learning it's not about me. I'm a slow learner. Some of you hadn't got on it yet. Just next marriage. Ooh, it's not about you. You make it about you, you're not going to be happy. If you make it about you in a church, you're going to miss the purpose. If you think, that's why people often misquote me, and they'll say, because someone did it the other day, pastor said that the breakfast isn't for the members of the vineyard. I said, no, that's not exactly true. Let me clarify that, because I'll often say this to intentionally offend people to get them to remember why we're here. And so I'll say this, the breakfast that we have, the eggs, the bacon, the grits, the biscuits, the gravy, the coffee, the donuts, the juice, the thing, that's all free. It's not for us primarily. We get in on it, but it's for our guests. And if you miss that little, that little switch right there, you don't get us. Let me tell you where that came from. Years ago, we, were, we didn't have this back wall. We added it. And there was a big tiki hut. When we bought this, it was an American Legion building, and they served refreshments from this tiki hut bar that we managed to paint 19 shades of purple, literally. It got painted 19 times, at least. You could have shot it, and a bullet would have bounced off. There was so much purple. It was horrible looking. It matched the ugly blue of the outside. It was just, we were ugly, ugly. And so we had coffee and donuts, and it had a little sign because, you know, you got some good, good economic people in church life. Pastor, this is costing money, and we, we don't want to lose money here. So the sign said, coffee free for guests, a dollar for members, or something of that range. I can't remember. This is a lifetime ago. So you get a rule follower serving coffee that someone takes a cup and walks away and doesn't put a dollar in. They chased them down. You didn't put a dollar in there. They said, well, the sign, you didn't put it up. Members are a dollar. First Sunday they'd ever been there. Our solution was fire the volunteer, number one. But I made everything, we made decide everything will always be free. Never again will they have to worry about that. We never charge for anything we do. Now, we take up an offering, and if you're part of this church, we expect you to honor God and give in that offering. Or you're not part of us. You're just, you're a renter, not an owner. You're just, you're just vacationing with us. If you're part of us, you give in the offering. That's part of being a part of us. So that we can do the things 
so that the world knows we just want to be a blessing. We gave out almost 15,000 hot dogs last year. We didn't charge a dime for one of those because we wanted to remind people God's love's free, no strings attached. Why? Because we're debtors. When, 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 here's the deal. Listen to me. This is a great definition for the gospel. What does it mean to be an evangelist? It's when one beggar discovers where the bread is and he goes and tells the other beggars, come get the bread. You're a beggar. So I'm not a beggar. Then you're not a Christian. Christians are beggars. We brought nothing to the table. The gospel wasn't a help wanted sign. God didn't say, well, I'm going to need some help. I'll just come with you. Come on, good. Come on, it's good news. But come along, help me. I need your money. I need your help. I need your service. And that's how some people present the gospel so God's in trouble and you need to come bail him out. God doesn't need anything you've got to give him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means I've got nothing, Jesus, but I got everything you have to give me. I receive it. I'm a beggar. I didn't come to Jesus because he needed me. I came to Jesus because I needed him. If you think Jesus needs you, you haven't met him yet. When you meet him, you find out doesn't need anything you got, doesn't need your advice, wisdom, strength, resources, doesn't need anything you have. You need everything he's got. But the good news is Jesus loves us when we experience that. The obligation is I need to tell other people. It's, listen to me, people that say, I'm just, a, I'm just a very private person. Okay, okay, okay. If you're not sharing Jesus, you're not a good Christian. You might be a private person. Doesn't mean you have to stand on the street corner. But if you can't tell your best friend the best news that's ever happened on the planet Earth, that Jesus Christ loves you and that you have a relationship with him, something's wrong with your faith. You're not a debtor. You don't feel the weight that you found a cure to the worst disease on the planet, which is sin. You found the cure and your friend is dying of the disease and you don't share the cure with them. That's not a debtor. That's a hoarder. Christian life is never meant to be a private walk with Jesus. It's a personal walk that leads us to a public profession of our faith. It's not a private. We don't baptize people in the dark. We don't call people to stand up and everybody don't look and let's be quiet and I don't want anybody to know about it. I'm a debtor. I owe people that I don't like. I owe people that I don't agree with. I owe people that are unlike me. I owe people that are doing stuff that ah, I don't like. I'm a debtor. That means God's given me an experience of his good news, and I've got a responsibility to care about other people and share it. That's, that's, that's just basic. No one ever had to tell me when I experienced Jesus that I ought to share that with my friends. No one ever said, you need to share your faith. It's like the best thing that ever happened to me. How would I not tell people even when they didn't want to hear it? Think back, some of you, when you first met Jesus, the passion, the zeal, the, the hunger to share that. Where'd it go? You forgot that you're a debtor. We owe people that don't know. That's why we exist as a church. 
And if we, if, we, if we churn it around in the other way, then we make it about us. And I've, I've pastored and made it about me. Or I didn't care about the guest. I didn't care how long they could tolerate worship. I didn't care. I would worship for an hour. Do you know what? People lose their minds. It's like, it's like people like me trying to go to the gym and spend more than five minutes. These are people that have never worshipped in their life, and you're singing the same song for the 20th time. And they're like, you guys are cultish. You guys are in some kind of self-induced zombie-like trance. They don't get it. And he's got his hands up like what? Like the Grateful Dead. They don't get it. We want them to get it, and they haven't got it yet. But once you get it, then you forget about when you didn't have it. I've had so many people over the years, Pastor, why don't we do more? Why don't we do more of this, more of that, more of that? Because we'd scare the guest away. Well, I don't care. We shouldn't be ashamed of, the, of our... No, 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 no. If you would have come to church back when you came and we did what you want us to do, would you have stayed here? No. But you don't care now because you're in. It's like, I don't want anybody else to move to the condo because I got mine. Don't want to fill it up. Found a good restaurant. Don't tell anybody. I'll have to wait in line. It becomes about us. So Paul says, I'm a debtor. So we live, we ask ourselves, is there anything we're doing that's putting up an unnecessary barrier for a guest to come into this church? Anything are we doing or not doing? Why do you think we sing a Spanish song every now and then? I don't care whether everybody, we sang it on Christmas Eve. Spanish people don't go to church on Christmas Eve. They're at home with their families. That's just their tradition. I don't want to say none, never, whatever. Don't get me. But just general. But we still sing some hymns in, uh, in, in Spanish. Why? Because it's a reminder that it's not about just us and who's like us. We have a debtor to those that can't speak the same language we speak. We have a debtor to those that vote different than we vote. We're a debtor to those that have records that we don't have. So that's Paul's. I'm a debtor. Second thing Paul says is I'm eager. Look what he says in the next verse. And not only a debtor, but he says I'm eager. Verse 15. This is why I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. He wants to go bring good news. It's not like we have a bad assignment. Like some make it. Some have made the the good news bad. Isn't it a challenge? Isn't it? I, I say this sarcastically. Isn't it a gift to turn the good news into bad news. But preachers do it. They turn good news about the love of God into the anger of God, and he's mad at you. And they think that's somehow helping the good news be better. No, the good news is he's not mad at you. He loves you. The good news is he died for those sins that you're so embarrassed about. The good news is he wants to forgive those sins that are tormenting you. The good news is that God is patient and kind and loving far more than any human you've ever met in your life. The good news is Jesus Christ paid it all. The good news is that he rose from the dead. And for a pastor to preach with no passion as though there's nothing at stake, and it's in many churches in America today, it's sadly in many vineyards. Vineyards go, there are vineyards that go a whole year that haven't baptized one person. 
Dude, I'd get saved again if that was my church. I'd say, I'd get, I'd say I'm going to baptize my family again. Come on, you're getting baptized again. But we've already been baptized. I don't care. We're going to do it again. I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to let. What's the point if you've not reached one in America? Now, if you're in some oppressed Muslim country, there are people that go years without converts. That's different. If you're not growing a church in Florida right now, you've got a barbed wire fence up around your church. And you've got a keep out sign. Maybe you don't literally have that. But whatever you're doing is scaring people away. Florida's growing by how many thousand people a day? It's like 2,000 people a day are coming to Florida. And I don't care what their politics are. I want them to find Jesus. I don't care. Well, we're going to turn it into Cal. No, I'm going to turn it into the kingdom of God. I want to reach our city. I'm passionate. I, I'm, I'm, there's something at stake here. This isn't just, you know, a nice service club. Well, I'm part of the vineyard. We do nice things for people in the community. No, I'm not that nice, number one. It's too hard. I've got to be loving. And we do serve, but we don't have a hidden agenda. We want people to experience God's love. It's not a secret. We don't, it's not a bait and switch. It's a, we're passionate. Paul says, I'm, I, I'm eager. I, I, it, nothing else will keep you going in church life. It, everything will get boring to you. Everything. Worship, everything. The Bible, everything. It'll dry up. It'll get boring if you stop being passionate about seeing people come to Jesus. When someone stands and we ring the bell and you go, <laughs> Oh, are you going to go to lunch today? You're in a bad place. You're not eager. You're not passionate. You've lost your fire. You forgot what it is to be lost. When you came to Jesus, it was better than Christopher Columbus discovering the world. You've discovered the love of God better than winning the lotto. You got the love of Jesus, the good news. Now it's like, ah, ah, ah. Now we rang the bell. We baptized some people. We got baptized. Did you get baptized? Yeah, it was exciting when I did, but boring when they did. Because it's all about me. You're an unhappy church member because you've made this church about you. I'm just loving on you. I could be unhappy. I've been unhappy. When I make this church about me, I'm not a happy pastor. There's not enough of you to make me happy because there's too many of you that make me unhappy. <laughs> so if I'm doing it for you, I'm unhappy. If you said to me, Jamie, you're going to go all year and not see one person come to Jesus in this church, I'd lose my mind. I'd go do something else. I cannot live. Christians are boring. I want the new, fresh just discovered the love of God, haven't cleaned up their act yet, don't get it. Yeah, that was the best blankety-blank message, Pastor, I've heard in a long blankety-blank time. I'm like, that's blanking good, good. No, I was quoting him, not me on that. So if you're bored, it's on you. It's like Kim said with worship. You didn't connect, it's on you. You're an adult. 
press into Jesus. Do something about your heart before it dries up and robs you. When you lose that passion that says, God, I want my brother and my sister. I want my mom, my dad, my friends, my coworkers. I want my neighbors. I want them to know you, Jesus. Because if they don't, they're going to spend eternity without you. And if I care about anybody, I want them to know you. You're cold-hearted. If somebody stands and it doesn't move you. There's been times that's been true of me. You know what I do about that? I get on my face with God and I say, God, forgive me. That's, that's why you died. To see people come to know your love and forgiveness. And it just didn't move my needle. Yet the game jacked me up. The politics jacked me up. The stock market jacked me up. Someone coming to Jesus? Oh, well. We're a gospel-centered church. We have to fight for that. There's too many things that will steal our passion. There's too many things that will get us off course. I've been, we've been diverted. We've been, I, I can't tell you the battles we've had to fight to die on this hill of being a gospel-centered church. Not a youth-centered, not a cause-centered, not a social-centered but a gospel-centered church. Third thing, Paul says, not only am I a debtor, Paul says, I'm passionate. This is years after he'd met Jesus. He's passionate. It's good news. It never gets old. If it gets stale, it's on us. It's fresh. It's alive. It's present. He's in the good news. It's not a doctrine. It's not a sermon. It's not a belief in the sense that the gospel is living. He's in the gospel. When we preach the gospel, he's present as though he just died. He's present as though he just rose from the grave. He's present as he just came and stood and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The gospel, he's present. You should feel the pull of the gospel when it's, pre you'll feel, if you're a believer, you should say, I want to get saved again. It should move you. It should cause you to say, yes, yes. It's our mission. It's our passion. It's our debt. God, thank you that you've entrusted us with the only message that can change the world. There is no other message. There is no other cure. There is no other good news but Jesus. And we've discovered it. I'm a beggar. I found the bread. Come on, get some. Come get some. It's good. Now, if you've not tasted it, you don't know? When my wife finds a new restaurant, she just gets all, I mean, she's going to blow up the phone. She's going to tell people how good. She likes to share the good news because she wants others to come and experience it. I'm like, honey, stop. It's going to get crowded in here, and we won't get the table we want. Third thing, last thing, but there's a lot in it. Paul says, not only am I obligated or a debtor, not only am I eager, passionate. He fought to keep his fire. Third, verse 16, I'm not ashamed 
of the gospel. I'm just stop there. I'm gonna take this one piece at a time. What's the hands only? Because you'll stay after church and clean up all the programs and, and cups people leave if you blurt out the answers. Okay. And remember, the only right answer is the one I'm looking for. Okay. What's the opposite of being ashamed? Hands. Yep, you're staying after church. Get her name. Security, get her name. How many programs are you going to clean up? Okay, hands, hands. Opposite of being ashamed. Hands, hands. If you already blurted out, you're staying after church. Come on. Yes, sir. No, you raised your hand. You will now that you ruined your opportunity. Okay. Yes, ma'am. What is the opposite? Pride in a good way. I'm pride. I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm confident in it. Good. What else, Ken? Pride, same thing. And we don't, we don't mean that in an arrogant way. We're not smarter. We're not better. Yes. Go ahead, Sean. There's an honor to it. Wow. It's the gospel. It's, it's an honor. What else? Hands. Excited. When you're ashamed of something, you don't talk about it. You got a relative that's a little embarrassing, you don't brag about them at family reunions. You're like, are they coming? No, 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 they're not coming. Thank God they're not coming. Nobody has that. But if you did, it's not something you want to keep in the closet. You celebrate it. It's like the devil's biggest target, I believe, on churches is to get believers ashamed of the message of the good news of Jesus. He targets churches. He's targeted me. It happened in the, I knew I was going to preach this. And in the first service, I meet a couple, they're brand new. I know they have to have a Catholic background because they said they enjoyed our Christmas mass at Christmas Eve. Now, I didn't correct them. I get it. That's a compliment. We don't perform a mass, but that's their language. So I did. But I thought, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the paint off the wall. They've never heard anything like what they're about to hear. I better dial it down. It happens. It happens. I went through a season where I got so intimidated because I, 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 I was around a lot of other pastors that didn't pull the trigger at the end of the message. They, at best, sign a card, but they didn't call people publicly to make a stand for Jesus. And I quit doing it. I quit doing it. See, I, 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 I gave ground. That's a hill we have to die on. I love it when people come to me and say, Pastor, you had not made a call in a couple weeks. I'm praying. i got a friend here today. Pull the trigger. Set the hook. Make the call. What good is it to preach the gospel and go, okay, everybody go home. Have a good day. You have to respond. It's a response. The gospel requires a yes or a no. There's no middle ground. There's not a maybe. Maybe is a no. It's either yes or no. The gospel, everybody Jesus ever encountered and called them publicly was to follow him, not in a shameful, but salad. This is like when I got married and my wife walked down the wall, the altar with this, this great man of God that we ordained, her dad, who was chewing gum, coming down the altar with my bride. Did I care? No, because I'm focused on her. She was so beautiful, I wasn't marrying him. Thank God. 
it's it's not I'm getting married. It'd be it's like can you you ever some of you younger married maybe guilty you meet somebody new or someone you've known for a long time and your spouse is standing there and you don't introduce them. Not good. It's not going to turn out well for you later. Let me just help you. You're proud of them. You celebrate them. You, you're not ashamed. The devil wants to put shame on the church, and he's done it. We're not intellectually all there because we believe that we're going to a place called heaven that we can't prove, and we're going to get there through a Savior that died on a cross that, yeah, and he supposedly came out of the grave, and he's given new life to you, and that's your message. That's foolishness. They'll mock you in colleges if you say, I believe in the good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. They will mock you. We live in a world, especially in our country, but it's other countries too, that has developed a moral superiority that we're more righteous than God is. We're more loving than God is. Let me tell you this. It may not happen on my watch, but I, I see it coming like a freight train. When you preach that Jesus Christ is the only way. It's exclusive, but the other option is no way. There is truth that says that there's one way, but thank God there's one way. The other option is there's no good news. And there are churches today that in, in lieu of wanting to be offensive, They've, they've ripped out. They don't use words like sin anymore. They teach pastors, don't, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about repentance because, you know, that means people are going to have to deal with their sin. Don't, and, and don't talk about judgment. Don't go there because we just want everybody. We are the world. We just, we love everybody. Let's just love everybody. You're not loving because you're telling me that if I don't follow Jesus, that I'm not going to heaven. That's not loving. And I'm morally superior to you. You're telling me that my sexual preferences and my choices, that they're not correct according to what God wants me to do. So you're telling me that God says I can't, I should not live this way. And I'm saying, yes, I'm telling you what the Bible says. And you say, well, I've been, I was born that way. Okay, get born again. I was born a lot of ways that weren't good. Let me help you. I was born a lot of ways that if I just said, that's the way I was born, I'd kill people. I would have killed people by now because that's where I was born. I was a mean, you know what? I almost shot a guy one night because I hit him as hard as I could and he didn't go down. You know when you hit someone as hard as you can and they don't go down, your rear end's about to be tore up. I went and got a gun. I was going to kill him. I don't care what you were felt you were born inclinations. You could have been born inclined to be a serial killer. You need to be born again. That's the good news. God can change all of us. He can change our heart. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Why, Paul? It's just the world mocks us. So here's why. Look what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and then the Gentile. There's 
power in it. And there's power in nothing else. There's no power in politics. Let me help you. Let me say it again. There's no power in politics to save one soul. Not one bit of power. It won't do it. Can't do it. There's no power in any service organization to where you'll be good enough, you've served enough, and finally God says, all right, let me. it's the good news that's the power of God unto self. There's nothing else. I've got nothing to give. I've got no power. I've got no ability to change anybody, fix anybody, heal anybody, save anybody, forgive anybody, but the gospel. He rides on it like a chariot. He comes in when it's spoken. It doesn't have to be loud like I'm doing. But you just say to a friend, do you know the Lord loves you? He cares about you. He died for you. That's the gospel. In that message is Jesus. He's present when you bring good news to people. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. You're not going to threaten me. You're not going to blackmail me. You're not going to bully me. You're not going to make me feel morally inferior. You're not going to make me feel stupid and unwise because I know I'm all of that. But the gospel's not about me. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me love on you. We often are ashamed of the gospel. You don't talk about it. I've been betrayed before by, by some people that I really love. And they betrayed me by silence. Deeply betrayed. When they knew something was untrue and people were saying it and they didn't confront it. That's as, that's as guilty as if you said what was untrue. Silence is not a virtue when somebody is speaking something that is untrue in your presence and you don't stand up for someone that you love. That's just denial. When I don't stand up for Jesus because it's not cool, because it's not acceptable, because my friends might think I'm a wacko, and they did, I stand up for Jesus because I'm not ashamed of him. Why? Because he hung on a cross for me, bloodied, beaten, mocked, he wasn't ashamed to do that for me. And all he asked me to do is tell people about him. Have you lost your fire? Maybe you've never had it. Have you lost your passion for people that don't know him? Has religion sucked the joy out of your life? Church, are you bored with church? I'm talking about people. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing people here that serve. You can bore with cooking in the kitchen. You can bore with working with children. You can bore with running sound. You can bore being on the worship team. You can bore serving eggs. You can bore opening the door saying, welcome to the vineyard. You can bore going out in the food truck. You can bore all the events that we do in Christmas Eve. You can bore with it. And you got to look in the mirror and preach the gospel to yourself. What's the cure? You need the gospel again. Preach to yourself. Sometimes the best thing you'll ever do is give the best sermon you could ever give to just you in the car with the radio off. Preach to you. 
Call yourself back to Jesus. Preach the good news that God loves you. Preach the love of Jesus back into your heart. Preach the fire of Jesus back into your life. Preach, preach, preach the good news to yourself. Stop telling other people about it if you don't believe it yourself. If it's no good to you, if it doesn't stir you, don't be a hypocrite. Don't tell other people, Jesus is wonderful and your prayer life is dried up. Jesus is amazing and you don't care about worship anymore. Jesus can do anything and yet you don't trust him in in your own life. No, preach the gospel to yourself again. Come back to Jesus. Come back to that first love. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God. Stop blaming other people for your lack of passion. Stop being critical. And so that criticism guards you from looking in the mirror saying, I need the gospel in my life again. Preach it. Preach it to your dog. Preach it to your cat. They need it for sure. Preach it to your goldfish. Preach the gospel. So I don't know how. Take John 3, 16. Open it up and preach it to yourself. Preach it till you believe it. Preach it till it grips you. Preach it till it's everything that your life is made out of. Preach the gospel to yourself. Then you'll say with Paul, I'm I'm a debtor. You'll say with Paul, "I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. You'll say with Paul, I'm not ashamed, for it's the power of God and the salvation. Don't miss this one word here in verse 16. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone, everyone. It's not a Cape Coral gospel. Stay with me because it's going to get real painful for some of you right now. Stay with me. If we do anything that limits the gospel, We've degraded the death of Christ on the cross. If I do anything as a church, as a Christian, as a, if I'm on Facebook and I'm doing things on Facebook that causes people to say, whatever church they go to, I'd never go to that church. Find another church or stop putting stuff on Facebook that causes people to say, I would never go to that church. It's an embarrassment. Stop it. Your political views, be passionate, but don't get in the way of the gospel. You want your friend to come and become your party, or do you want your friend to come and know Jesus? You're not going to change him to your party and then get him to Jesus. Well, if he's really, if he's in my party, he's closer to Jesus. We laugh, but is that not true? I'm not on social media, but I'm around enough to know that both sides demonize each other, both sides. Uh, On our watch, we'll die on the hill of this is a church for everyone. We want you to come up that hill and die with us. That means you're going to give up some of your freedoms and liberties. You're going to steward your opinions a little differently. If wearing certain apparel causes people to stumble, then don't wear it. I drove into the state of Florida. What an embarrassment to get into the state of Florida right around Lake City and see a monster Confederate flag. I would go out, I'd bet $1,000 that that flag belongs to somebody that goes to church. $1,000. 
and they feel somehow deceived and self-righteous and uh, that's their cause and you'll never get an African-American to come into a church that can't celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Come on. Come on. You're going to get a Spanish person to come into church if you can't get Ola out of your mouth. And you want to say, we're in America, speak English. We're in the kingdom of God. Speak the gospel. I know. I'm worked up. I'm all that. Someone worried in the last day, they asked the security guy, is Jamie all right? He was sweating a lot. Let me help you. Sweating is not hurting me. It's a good, this is my workout. Everyone, everyone, everyone. I tell our minorities on a regular basis, if anybody ever does anything, says anything, or we're doing something that makes you feel unwelcome, uncomfortable, then you let us know. We will repent and we'll make it right. You know how hard we work to be a diverse church? Everyone. I don't want Walmart to be more welcoming than we are. Even people with their butt cracks showing, walking around. You come here with that, I'll just say pull up your pants. Every brand of life goes to Walmart. I call it the Walmart welcome. There are wealthy people that shop in Walmart. There are people that go in there with their pajamas on that shop in Walmart. There are people that are white and poor. There are people that are black and wealthy. There are people that are Spanish. There's people that are Asian. Why? No one says to Walmart, I don't know if, we were, I don't know if this is a store for you. What an embarrassment that Walmart is more welcoming than most churches. Most churches have on their sign, everyone welcome, liar. It's not true. You come in and you're different than they are, you're not welcome. There are churches you come in with a certain political slogan on your, you're out of there. We're going to love people, that, not because we agree with them, not because we like what they do, or don't do. We want them to find the gospel. We want them to find the love of Jesus. The last thing he says is, for everyone who believes. Look what he says. The power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. Listen, if you don't respond, it's not enough to believe the gospel. It's not enough to say yes to Jesus in the sense that I would vote for him but it's a surrender of a life that says, yes, I'll follow him. Belief is a surrender. It's not a vote. Belief isn't something that you do outwardly to make yourself look better. It's an inward heart yes to the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you say that, you're all in. We're not about calling people to Jesus, ring the bell, and say, see ya. Did you get your passport stamp? Going to heaven. We want to see you get baptized. We want to see you get in a small group. We want to see you get in the Word of God. We want to see you grow in your faith. We want to see you share and serve. We want to see you be a fully devoted Christ follower. It's just the first step when you say yes, but it's the, it's the biggest step. It's the, it's the yes, I'm all in. And then years later, you're Paul saying, I'm a debtor. I'm passionate and I'm not ashamed. 
That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel. That's what we're going to do in various ways. I'm louder than my wife will be. Thank God. I'm just, that doesn't make it more uh, authority. It's just knowing that it's truth and it's the only truth that can help somebody. Not ashamed. Not ashamed. You know, when, when I was, did I tell the story about the born again book? Two services in old age don't go good together. <laughs> did I tell the story already? Billy Graham's? No, don't say tell it again. Tell, did I tell it yet? She doesn't remember because I, did I tell the Billy Graham book story? Okay, thank you. This crowd over there, don't listen to them. They're trying to bait me into trouble. You know, it was in high school. You know, if you saw the Jesus Revolution and you saw the drug-induced concert and the guy that was speaking on the stage and said, you know, what did he say, tune in, drop out, what, what's his, uh, he was the LSD uh, king. He wrote a book called The Electric Kool-Aid and Acid Test about a bunch of hippies that rode on a bus and did LSD. And I loved the book in high school. I thought it was amazing. My eyes were open. This is what I've been looking for because I was lost and full of demons. So I found a Billy Graham book because that book was actually banned from our high school. Nowadays, yeah, not so much. Anything goes. We don't want to tell our children what's right and wrong. Yeah. So I tore the cover off a Billy Graham book, and I put it over the book, and it said, Born Again, Billy Graham. It was a hot book that he'd come out with. I didn't even know who Billy Graham was. I'm toting it around school, and my friends were losing their minds. Stilson, what are you doing? Are you, you didn't become a Christian. You didn't. I said, well, I'm reading it. There's some good stuff in here. Mocking Jesus. Mocking. He's taking notes. Let me help you. Jesus is listening when you're mocking some of you are living through some of those things. I'll never. Yeah, okay. I come to Jesus. And when every time I saw Billy Graham on TV and he made an altar call, no matter who was around me, I started crying. I'm like, this is embarrassing. When you're in your 20s, you don't cry. You don't cry in front of Now I cry all the time. When you're old, you cry all the time. But I'm crying. God's up in heaven with Billy, got his arm around him. Watch Jamie cry again. You... Oh, God would never do that. Oh, yeah, he would. Oh, yeah. That person, God will never embarrass you. You don't know him. You don't know him. Never embarrass you. Lord of mercy. Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm going to your house today in front of everybody. What if he did that to you this morning? Called you out in front of everybody. I'm coming home with you today. Oh, that would be embarrassing. But the things that he embarrasses us over are the things we need to get set free from. The things that we are embarrassed of about him is what he wants to liberate us from. Isn't that funny? The things we won't, I, I'm a, I don't want to get it. No, no, listen to me. God's good news is never old. It's not old news. It's not outdated news. It's now news. It'll be now. It's, you know where the fastest growing church in the world is right now? Who thinks they know? Iran. Bomb them! See, we don't get it. I'm not saying that there's not a wicked, demonic regime suppressing the people. But the Iranian people, there's the gospel is, is growing underground. 
And it's illegal to have a Bible. It's illegal. But the gospel is not contained. It's not. China has a massive underground church. And we live in a country that is, uh, anyway, don't have to go. It's, 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 it, the, the gospel can't be stopped. So let's not be ashamed of it. You got it kind of cold in your heart. Preach to yourself. Stop blaming the church. Stop blaming other people. Well, you're bored with it. Then tell God you're sorry for being bored at the greatest message, the best news, the transformational sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. God changed my heart. And, and I've been there. I've been there. You know, the first time I called people to Jesus after I'd been, I don't know how long I went without calling people. I, I didn't sleep that night before. I, I, was so, I took my glasses off, which is a bad habit for me, because I can't see you then. You could be flicking me off, and I, don't, I can't see you. I had a youth flick me off one time, and I was speaking at a youth thing, and I threw him out of the church right on the spot. He sat there and did this to me while I was preaching. I said, hey, you, you're out. Leave right now. He was the chairman of the deacon's son. I threw him out of church. The pastor was not happy. Anyway, glasses off. Flick me off if you want, because I can't see you. But it keeps me from being intimidated. So I, got in a, so I knew I'm going to call people to Jesus at the end of this message. I lost sleep over it. I got prayer about it, because it's a spiritual war. Do you know what happens when you get, and I'll just let you in on this. I don't do this often. When we get to the end, like now, this is when believers pray. There's people here today that can make a decision that will affect their eternal destiny. And you think about going to lunch. Stop it. Repent. Come in with us. Get up on that hill. I'm going to die on that hill. Because without the gospel, we've got no hope. Without the gospel, our kids, what's the future? What's the future of this country without the gospel? What's the future in our colleges without the gospel? With the power of God. I believe that there's going to be a generation that's sick of all the political crap that's out there. They're going to get sick of all, and they're going to want the gospel again. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I hope I live to see it. I believe we're going to see revival because they've been immersed in the, the wisdom of Satan in this world, and it doesn't work. It doesn't make happy marriages. It doesn't make happy families. It doesn't make happy lives. It doesn't, having your own way is a scary way to live. You want God's way. Made, made that call to Jesus. I couldn't even tell you whether anybody stood or not. Didn't matter. My job is to present the gospel. It's God's job to close the deal. So I just leave it with the Lord, and I'm going to leave it with him today. So let's go to him right now. The gospel is the best news. It's not just it's not just good news. It's the best news. It's the only good news. There is no other solution for our brokenness. There is no other hope for our lives but the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross because he loves us, rose from the dead, and offers us eternal life. 
There is bad news if you reject the good news, and that's God's judgment. If you reject His good news, then you've brought on yourself the bad news of His condemnation and judgment. If you're here today and you've just never experienced the good news in a personal way in your heart, you've never, never been, that's okay. You're honest. God's not interested in you learning to be religious and fake it. God wants you to taste and see that He's good. He wants to give you His gift of eternal life. It's not change your life and be good enough for Jesus. That's religion. Jesus says, let me change your life. Let me forgive your sins. You say, what do I do, Jamie? You say yes to him. Right now, where you're sitting, online, Jesus, I say yes to you as my Lord. Just tell him that. Invite him to come into your life. It's good news, but he won't force it on you. You have to believe. You have to receive. And then thank him. And then, Lord, those of us that our hearts have gotten calloused and religious life has sucked the joy out of, forgive us, Lord. I think of some of you when you were first saved and how passionate you were. Where'd that go? It's been robbed, stolen. You can get it back. Preach the gospel to yourself. Receive the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. Celebrate the gospel. Come to Jesus again. Be renewed. Stop blaming others. Focus on the good news. Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, bless those that need to take a stand today and decide for you, Lord. Give them the courage, Holy Spirit, to stand in Jesus' name. Amen.